0: So would you turn with me to Psalm 25, the same psalm that I read earlier, as we continue on in a sermon series going through all the psalms. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take one of the black Bibles in front of you. It'll help you follow along. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those Bibles um, and put your name in it and use it and keep it. Or if you don't have our translation that we normally preach from and that would be a help to you, go ahead, take it. Psalm 25 is our psalm this morning. Imagine receiving a phone call, and I know that for many of you have. Imagine receiving a kind of phone call from someone significant in your life a spouse, or child, or parent, relative, friend, boss, or a doctor. And the message, if not literally the words, something like this. And the message is things are bad. The pit comes into your stomach, the feeling of anxiety, there's fear, you're silent. When things are bad, what do you do? When things are bad, how do you respond? Or to use other adjectives than just bad, difficult, when things are complicated, overwhelming, heartbreaking, impossible, painful, humiliating, lonely, unbearable, unfair, frustrating, scary disastrous, hopeless. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller writes, the loss of loved ones, debilitating and fatal illness, personal betrayals, financial reversals, and moral failures, all of these will eventually come upon you if you live a normal span of life. No one is immune. Therefore, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, or planning, or a host of other things, no, n- none of those plannings and management will keep us from these troubles. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. We all know this intuitively. And those who face the challenges of suffering and pain learn all too well that it is impossible to to do so using our own resources. We all need support if we are to succumb to despair. So whether you are a 12-year-old in this room this morning... Or a senior pushing into your mid 90s, like a few of you this morning in this room. Life is full of hurts, it's full of our bad days that turn sometimes into bad weeks, months, and seasons. The bad comes through difficult people and difficult circumstances. And when I say bad, because of the lens in which we look through through this word, we're going to say bad with quote marks there, because we know that bad is from a human perspective, because God, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was awful. It was bad in one human level, and it was absolutely glorious at another level, right? What's bad in your life right now? Is it money problems? Is it marriage problems? Is it kid or family or church problems, work problems, health problems, identity, past hurts, problems? Psalm 25 is a psalm that is so needed in our lives, so Needed in a gift from God pointing us to the God of all grace. It is a psalm that is so realistic to sinners like you and me and sufferers like you and me. It is written by David as you can see the title of this psalm. It is a psalm in which David, we don't know the situation or occasion of David's writing this, but he had many of opportunities to write things like he writes in this psalm. We don't know if it was his trials with his father-in-law Saul who tried to kill him many times and hunted him down and finally dies by other enemies. Or his son Absalom who had led a rebellion against him in David's later years as David thinks and feels some of the shame and guilt of his past sins and neglect on his family. As you can look through this psalm... to best help you follow the sermon, I'd encourage you to take the psalm and maybe take the outline that was, is on the back of your bulletin and follow along. And we're going to kind of review through this psalm a few times, make a through pa- few passes through it, and touch on a few things. I, I hope that as an end, end of this morning, you'll have some tools to think about what to do when times are bad. Here are some of the bad things we see just hinted at or clearly remarked by David in this psalm. Like verse 2, he's humiliated and shamed by his enemies. Oh my God, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. And he's dealing with treachery in verse 3. Those will be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. I wonder if you've experienced the treachery or betrayal of a friend, a former spouse, a situation in a parenting situation that's just devastated you, or at work, or a church. Someone who is supposed to be a Christian has hurt you. He's facing the consequences of past sins. Boy, this is one of those psalms that David doesn't just get up in there and say, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. There is phrase after phrase that David, you, he prays like someone that knew that he was guilty a lot of times. And he's facing, in like in verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Or, and he's feeling the guilt of a wounded conscience in both verses 11 and 18. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and would you forgive all my sins? Verse 18, he's caught in a trap, verse 15. That trap could be the trap of his enemies and Satan and the trap of his own guilt and sin. Verse 15, my eyes are ever to the Lord. Would you pluck my feet out of of the net? He's facing loneliness and affliction. Would you turn to me and be gracious to me, O God, for I am lonely and afflicted. And he's broken hearted in verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distress. And he ends the psalm by saying his enemies, boy, they hate me so badly. He says in verse 19, consider How many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Things are pretty rough for David in this psalm. This is in some ways a lament. We've seen this. A lament is a declaring to God in prayer, God, I am in trouble, I'm hurting, here are my hurts, please help me. It's part lament, and it's much more than just lament lament. So what does David do when things are bad? What should you do when things are bad, when brokenhearted and lonely and feeling the enemies around you, people that should have been your friends, should have been there for you, and they are not? Or or feeling that the circumstances of your life, not a particular person, just are crushing you. And some of it is, you know, it was your own fault and you're in there. And you're overwhelmed. So what does David do when things are bad? It's simple. Not easy. But it's basic and simple. It's what Christians do. He trusts God. This passage is meant to grow our trust in God. By means of taking in the midst of bad times. Going to Him for grace. Friends, all of us. Are trusting someone or something you trust someone or something for something you for your security for satisfaction and often we trust wrong things in fact we naturally trust wrong things we run to our we trust in ourselves we trust in money we trust in family we trust in all these things that are a blessing to us but ultimately can never take the place of the reality of where our trust must be only god through jesus is ultimately tr- ultimately trustworthy so in this beautiful song because that's what song that's what psalm 25 is this psalm of lament and of confidence in God, David calls us, and I guess this is is what my call to you this morning, in the words called to this pastor, trust God when things are bad. I call you to trust God when things are bad. But this psalm doesn't just say that, it illustrates it and so what i want to do is it was by showing you through the psalm how do you do that what does it look like to trust god when things are bad and why why is god trustworthy What does it say about the God that we're supposed to trust? And I pray that by saying that, our hearts would be fueled to literally trust in Him. So I I have seven very quick points that I want you, they're in your outline. They're the kind of thing that when things are bad this week or this year, I think it would be really helpful for you to have those nearby and just remember what this psalm shows you. And so here here I want to point them, and we're going to work through the order of this text again. First of all, how, number one, surrender your soul to God in desperate devotion. Look at verse one. Look at David surrendering his soul to God in desperate devotion. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Friends, this is what I would call a getting on your knees moment. I've had them, and if you haven't thought of it this way, you've had them, But they are getting on your knees moments. It's when things are difficult, you find yourself at the end of yourself, and you know that you desperately need God. And by the way, friends, we need to learn that a lot quicker than we often do. We usually go through all the other things, and then we realize we need God. We need God all the time, but there are times when it just feels so, so necessary that in my life, I've had to get on my knees, often with my wife, and we're on the, right in front of that couch, and we cry out, and there is a surrendering, oh God, to you I lift up my whole being. This is too big for me. I am overwhelmed. Please help. I surrender myself. I lift up myself to you. I am yours, and all of these things are yours. Help me, oh God. And that is the heart of what David's doing in the psalm. It reminds me of several Psalms later when David will say, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O faithful God. And that's what David does. So you're in trouble when times are bad. You want to learn to trust in God. It starts by getting on your knees, either literally getting on your knees or figuratively an expression of God. I surrender to you. God, this crisis that I'm experiencing This bad thing I'm experiencing, I surrender to you. This is yours and I'm yours. That's number one. Number two, beg God for wisdom and guidance. Look at verses four and five. Make me to know your way. Do you hear the begging? Make me to know your way, O Lord. O Yahweh, make me to know your way. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. He knows that he needs help. When we are in a hard place, we do not naturally have the wisdom and instinct to be able to respond rightly, wisely, and in a way that will please God. And we so desperately need to go to God and say, Oh God, in the midst of these trying times, people are treating me bad. I don't know what I'm going to do financially. I am so lonely, God. I, am, I feel like I'm ready to give up, God. Make me to know your way, oh God. Teach me your paths. Lead me and guide me. And notice what he says. For you are the God of my salvation. And for you I wait all the day long. You are my guidance. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Oh, shepherding God, guide me now because I need it now more than anything. Number three, and cry out to God for mercy and grace. When things are bad, cry out to God for mercy and grace. Look at verses six and seven. This, these two verses are in some ways just vital if not Central verses to this passage of the psalm. I, I love the remembering here. You'll, you notice the, the word remember in these two verses. Remember your mercy, O oh God, and your steadfast love, for they've been of old. And then, God, there's something I ask you not to remember. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, here's another, remember me. For the sake of your goodness. Not for my sake of my goodness. Don't do it because there's no goodness in me that I'm claiming. It's all you, your goodness. This is how bruised, broken, bloodied, hurting, lonely, afflicted, and distressed Christians. They go to God and they say, I surrendered to you. Help me. Guide me, point number two and three. Mercy. I I just pray you remember me. Not because I claim any right other than I just claim your promises, your steadfast love. You said it's there. Now, your goodness is declared over and over again in this book. Help me, God. Help me according to your grace of what I don't deserve. Number four: humbly confess your sins to God when things are bad. Verse 11: David knows that even though the enemies are brutal and treacherous, he's a sinner. He's really realistic in his prayer. Verse 11: "For your namesake, O God, pardon my guilt it is great. He's a guilty sinner. Guilty sinners this morning, I know you're in here. Come to Christ. Beat a pathway to Christ daily and throughout the day and run to Him. Not confessing the same sin over and over again. Confess it and believe it that He forgives. But when you sin over again, He never tires of forgiving you. He never does what we do. Yeah, but you did it again. His mercy is long suffering and steadfast to those who come to him. And we need that because almost every time we're going to go through bad times, we can't just go, I've been perfectly innocent. We're going to know if we're really honest. I kind of deserve sometimes some of this. If I didn't deserve it, I know I should have got it somewhere else. And God's been gracious. But, oh, God, would you please come and help me? And I confess my sins to God. And and then number five, keep your eyes on God. Verse 15. I love this verse. He says, my eyes are ever toward you. This is a a committed, deliberate, I'm going to discipline myself and renew my mind that day after day, hour by hour, I am going to keep my eyes on you when I start to worry, get anxious, sad, grieve, just go into despair. I cast my eyes upon you for you will pluck my feet out of the net It reminds me of Psalm 16, these precious words, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Friends, if you're going through bad times, I say trust in God. What does that look like? You surrender to God in devotion to him and you beg him for guidance. And you cry out for mercy, you confess your sins, keep your eyes on him. And and you do what David does towards the end of this psalm, number six, you lament to God all your pain. The psalms teach us one thing very clear. God doesn't tell us that when we're suffering, be stoic and shut up about it. It doesn't say that. It it doesn't say to complain about God, but it does say to take our complaints to Him. And in this psalm, He does this. Look at verses 16 through 19 in this psalm. Turn to me. It's a prayer of God. Help me. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Why? For I am lonely and afflicted. I know there are lonely people here this morning. Your heart is aching with loneliness. You're afflicted by various trials And he laments to God. Lamenting means simply to cry out and offer your complaints to God in faith. He says, the troubles of my heart, they're not little, they're enlarged. They're swelling. If you ever felt anxiety and it's just like it's swelling in you, your aching heart, and he says, consider my affliction and my trouble. And forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. You see that? Loneliness, affliction, troubles of his heart, distresses, affliction, trouble, needing to forgive, sins that aren't forgiven, foes that hate him with violence. May God help us to be People that learn to do this. I was with a friend this last couple weeks ago at a pastor's conference, and he told me his story and testimony of betrayal and pain, one ministry after another that he had been part of. And he looked at me with a big smile and he says, I feel healed because I've learned the grace of lament from the Bible. Of being able to cry out to God with all my complaints and trust Him. And God has healed me and given me forgiveness of those who have sinned against me. And I'm free. The last thing that I say to you about how or why do we, or what does it look like to trust in God, cry out for deliverance. Maybe that goes without saying, but I want to say it. Cry out for deliverance. Look at verses 20 through 22. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. It is right for us when we're going through bad times for us to say, God, would you please take that away? Would you take the cancer away? Will you bring me help financially? Will you take the aching, lonely heart that I right now experience, the emptiness, the frustration, the pain of my past, the bitterness that's been here will you deliver me will you come and just help remove the the fog of depression would you deliver me he says let me not be put to shame for i take refuge in you redeem israel verse 22 redeem israel he expands it beyond himself and he goes to the rest of the people of god redeem israel out of all his troubles So I find thinking through and going through these seven things is sometimes a guide and a help to me when I'm going through bad times, bad times. I pray that will be helpful to you using Psalm 25. But in conclusion, I want to point you to the foundation of, of this help of trust. Why can we trust God When things are bad. David shows us why we can trust him. I want to say to you this this morning. Hurting sister. He is worthy. Of your trust in him in bad times. Bruised and guilty. Brother or friend. Friend. He's worthy of you looking to Him for trust this morning. And in this psalm, I see at least five reasons. Again, here you have them in your outline, and I want to point them to you. Here are five reasons you can trust in God when times are bad. Number one, God will always right the wrongs. Verse three, indeed, none who wait for you, God, will be put to shame. But those who do act in sin and treachery will be ashamed. And David is declaring, God, you will right all wrongs. There'll come a day when you will not regret the fact that you trusted in God and clung to him when everyone was looking at you and saying, where is your God right now? There'll come a day where you will not be ashamed you will be rejoice and be glad that the Lord your God was a refuge and you waited upon Him for His deliverance. He will not allow those that trust in Him to be ultimately ashamed for trusting in Him. God will always vindicate the ungodly, or vindicate the godly and have vengeance against the ungodly. And as Psalm 2 says, "Blessed." Blessed are you who take refuge in him. You, you are blessed. That's, trust God because he'll always right wrongs. And two, trust God because God will guide repentant sinners for their good. Verses 12 and 13, 8, 9, and 12 and 13. This is so good. I need this, you need it. Good and upright is the Lord, verse 8. Therefore, God instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. Or in verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in well-being, and his offspring will inherit the land. This is a God- who restores our souls, directs sinners in paths that come to him in faith. Your sin is not an obstacle for a God to come and meet you in the midst of bad times. Because of his grace and mercy, humbly come to him for help. The third reason why I want to commend you, I want to point to you this God, is number three, and this this. This is the foundation to the point number two. God's mercy and love is guaranteed. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for all who keep his covenant and testimonies. Friends, today, we can rejoice this afternoon because his steadfast love his chesed love is for us. His love is to us. It will never, ever run dry. He is good. The love of God is what you and I need in bad times. I don't, just, I don't just need you to cheer me and say, good job, pastor. I need the love of God. You don't just need a pastor that will say, I'm praying for you this week. You need the love of God. This is the love of God that he says, trust in God, make him your refuge, wait on him because he's a God and it's guaranteed. This idea of sh- this idea here when he says, all the paths are of the Lord are steadfast love is that word hased means his love will never run dry, it will never grow old, it will never run out, he will never give it up. It is guaranteed through and through. It's the Lord is my shepherd And therefore, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It will chase me down and continue. I cannot outrun his goodness and mercy for a sinner and a sufferer who is a sheep now in his fold of the good shepherd. That's why Paul can sing and say, so who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died and he rose and is at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Not tribulation or famine or war in your Ukraine, not COVID-19 or economy, not marriage troubles. Not school troubles, not friendship and relationship troubles, not my own sin troubles. None of those can separate me from God's steadfast love that a hundred years from now we will start tasting, just beginning to taste, the glory and the beauty of his love that will only escalate world without, aeons without end forever. Why should you trust in God? Number four, God is a friend to those who fear him. I just, I love that idea. God is a friend to those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord, verse 14, is for those who fear him and to those who he makes his covenant to. This is the idea of intimacy the New American Standard says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. It's this idea, He gives us insight into who He is and what He's doing. He is our Father, we are His children, and He loves us, so trust in Him. It's worth it. He becomes your friend. There's none, no friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. None could heal your soul's diseases, no, not one. Jesus knows all our struggles. He will guide us to the, he, until the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And he is for us. I guess to sum it all up, I could say the last point here is we should trust God because God brings salvation. As he ends this psalm, he says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. You'll pluck me out of the net reminds me, he's saying, you are the God of my salvation. And so at the end, he says, redeem me, redeem Israel out of all his troubles because you are that saving God. And it is how we have come to know Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude this service, what do we do when things are bad? We trust God through Jesus Christ. He is over all and under all, He has us. And if you're here this morning saying, I don't know this peace. I don't know this comfort. I don't even know this forgiveness. Oh, he offers himself to you in the good news to save you and make you his friend. More than that, his adopted child, his son or daughter. And he offers you the payment to become that By giving his son Jesus, who died on a cross, rose from the dead, is at the right hand, and he offers complete forgiveness, complete sonship and daughtership rights into his family, not by those who work hard to earn it, but with empty hands say, I have nothing to offer other than I will trust you that what you said is true and I believe you and I turn away from myself and I receive you. If you haven't done that today, he calls you to do that this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we're going to conclude a song, on the song from the song of Moses. The psalmist says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. The psalm shows us a God, His character, His promises, His faithfulness. Jesus Christ is the reason Psalm 25 can be true and be prayed and used for us today. Jesus made it a way for sinners to be justified and receive mercy so that when times are bad, we fall on our knees and with humble faith, look to the one who will make all our paths right. Let's pray. Father, please minister to us now as we conclude this service. Oh God, use song to minister to our hearts. Give us faith and increase our faith and give new life to those. Give repentance and faith to those that have not yet believed. In Jesus' name, amen.